Praise the Lord. We're looking at prayer, faith, and spiritual warfare. Faith is a very important subject, uh, very misunderstood. I think it's been a, a bit undertaught in Britain, yes. overtaught in some places, uh, misunderstood, misinterpreted. Uh, it's so important that we understand how to have faith. Jesus actually taught us how to have faith. And uh, it's a misapprehension that people think you can have faith for something and not get it. Yes. You can never have faith for something in a true biblical way and not get it. Right. You will always get it. Yes. And uh, I've heard some world famous preachers misquote some scriptures from the book of Hebrews and we'll touch on that. So. Um, Let's see where we're going to start today, this session. Um, stretch your hands towards me and pray for me for a minute. Just pray for me for a minute. And uh, we'll see what direction we should go in. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Receive the prayers of the saints and just pray that you will speak powerfully in Jesus' name. Do what only you can do, Lord. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the, in 1978, I was in prayer. Uh, and uh, I, I was in my front room. And uh, I was crying out to God about something. And uh, I started praying in tongues. I didn't know it was a good thing to pray in tongues for a long period. And um, so I've been praying in tongues. I must have gone about an hour, and then I was on the second hour. And I was crying out to God for something in particular. And uh, in the third hour, after I'd been praying three hours in tongues, I just got up, and I started talking to the Lord uh, and telling him that he needed to do something about a particular situation. I just told him that he needs to do something. And uh, to my surprise, he spoke to me, and he gave me a promise. That was in 1978. It was around about July, because I know it was in between uh, term time and so on. And uh, I'm still waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. In 1986, um, I was, had a dream. It's actually Gerald Coates in the dream. Is <laughs> it good or bad? <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, Gerald Coates uh, came to me in a dream. <laughs> and he came right up to me and he pointed his finger at me like that, as he does. And uh, he said, you have not taken time to seek God. You need to spend seven days seeking God now. Boom, I woke up. And I knew God was speaking to me to fast for seven days. I just instinctively knew that. I, subsequently, I've spoken to Gerald Coates, and he said, isn't that strange? He said, other people have said I've come to them in dreams and spoken to them. He said, maybe there's uh, something, you know, that'll happen in the future as we interact together. Uh, and we have sort of, like, formed a friendship uh, since that time. But um, I knew instinctively that I was meant to fast for seven days. And so I was familiar with fasting, and uh, when I left uh, Bible school, uh, the Lord called me on like a 21-day fast. And uh, at that time, he, he gave me specific instructions. He said, one light meal a day. So I was working in a uh, bivocational pastor for the first couple of years before I went full-time in 81. And I had quite a strenuous job, and uh, I, I felt him uh, tell me one light meal a day. So for 21 days, I prayed and I fasted. And on the sixth night of the fast, God spoke to me in a very vivid dream. And he promised me several things. It's wonderful when that happens. Now, some of those things have happened and some of them haven't happened as yet. And uh, it's not unusual in the Bible for uh, Samuel to go to a house and say, oh, where's the other guy? He's in the field. And he pours uh, oil on him and it's like, at least 22 years or more before he actually becomes a king. Yeah. It's not unusual for someone like Joseph to have a dream yeah. 
And then, you know, 22, 23 years later, he actually sees the full fulfillment of the dream. So that's not unusual. Uh, thank God, some things he says to us and they happen tomorrow. But uh, there's some things he speaks and we just have to have faith for them. So I was talking to the Lord one day and I said, you know, I was lying in bed and I said, Lord, I waited so long for this promise, 1978. And, you know, it's been a long time. And I heard these words, you know, like, a bit like Charlton Heston, you know, in, in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Take off your shoes, you know. Uh, I heard this word, it went, Abraham. I said, okay, Lord, I understand. I understand, Abraham, you kept him waiting a long time. You kept him waiting 25 years. But I've been waiting longer than 25 years. <laughs> And uh, it, was, well, it was, wasn't quite a complaint, but it was leaning that way. <laughs> and I said this, you know, I've been waiting more than 25 years for this. And then it just clearly flashed through my mind, Romans 4. The moment he said Romans 4, I knew what he was talking about. Because in Romans 4, we have Abraham as a model yeah. on how faith works. So let's just go there. You see, because faith is a vital ingredient of prayer. And you know, some people, they pray a lot, but they, they don't pray in faith. You can pray in unbelief. You can pray with doubt. You know? The scripture is clear that a man who doubts will receive nothing from the Lord. Well, you don't want to receive nothing from the Lord. And a doubt is to be in two minds. Oh, I think it'll happen, but what if it doesn't happen? Well, maybe it will happen. Well, what if it doesn't happen? Uh, doubt is to be in two minds. And uh, we have some clear uh, sort of guidelines here concerning faith. Uh, and let's just go through it briefly because in all our prayers, whatever type of prayer we're engaged in, personal prayer, intercession, faith needs to be in the equation. And so you see these three ingredients in Ephesians chapter 6. You know, taking up the shield of faith with which you're quenching all the fiery doubts of the evil one. Spiritual warfare, faith warfare, praying in the, at all times in the spirit, prayer, and they're all in the same context. So over here you have Romans 4 verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. Faith and grace go together. Some things just go together, like faith and grace, grace and truth, fish and chips, roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. You know, some things just go together. Uh, and this of faith, so that... The promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of faith, are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And he's put up as a role model for someone who had enduring faith. Yeah. Someone who would not give up until the answer came. Remember that? Never give up. Never give in. Never back down. You know, Jared, Jared was saying how warfare has changed. My dad was a military man. He was a lieutenant colonel in the army. And I remember him telling me how he was trained, uh, you know, in, in, by the British sergeants and, uh, in his day. You know, in those days they had handguns. And, and the weapons were not as sophisticated as they are today. And I remember him telling me how they were trained to go into a room with a gun and take out five people before they fired back. And the guy who trained him, you know, at officer's training uh, school, uh, they were taught, you know, without fear, without mercy, and without remorse. That was the heart of a soldier. You went in, you did your job, you did what you had to do, without fear, without mercy, and without remorse. You know, it's good to be merciful, but you have no mercy on the devil. Yeah. You know, he, he hates you, he's out to destroy you. Yeah. These days, they're all kind of sophisticated weapons, but I always remember my dad telling me, my dad was one of my heroes. I remember him telling me how... You know, he, they opened up this barn in India and there was this cobra over there like this, big cobra, sort of uh, preventing him from going in. And my dad took out his pistol and the cobra was going like this. So he went like that and, he went, and the cobra went into eternity. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember those stories, you know. Uh, he was my hero. Uh, and, uh, you know, spiritual warfare, we need to... I understand it in context and, and faith is in the equation because in spiritual warfare we are told above all take up the shield of faith. I mean you've got to take the shield of faith with which yeah. I know I mentioned this a few times with which you yeah. can quench all. I mean all what does all mean? In English, in Hebrew, in Hebrew, in Greek all means all. It says you can quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Amen. 
So it says here of um, Abraham, verse 17, I've made you the father of many nations. I mean, he, you know, he hadn't even had a child yet. And God was saying, I've made you the father of many nations. And that's the way faith works. God makes a statement of what's going to happen. Amen. He told me certain things in 1978. And I know they're going to happen, even though they haven't happened yet. It's about 37 years, I think. That's a long time. And so it says, I made you the father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So when, if God has spoken to you, uh, you know, through the word and by the spirit, you need to be holding on to those promises. You know, if, if God hasn't spoken anything to you concerning your life and your future, and you're not actively believing a promise, you're like a boat in the middle of the ocean with no rudder. You don't know where you're going. And so our prayer life is so key. It's the place where we engage God, the place where we hear from God. We hear from the word. Just two nights ago, I was up praying and talking to the Lord about some things. And some scriptures jumped out at me. And the scriptures just answered my thoughts. And I knew it was God speaking to me. And it doesn't always happen. Some nights I get up, go through, and nothing speaks into the situation. But this night it did. So I underlined them. I asterisked them. I put a date on them. Because on that day, God said that to me. And then my faith locks into that until it happens. Yeah. And that's the way it's meant to work. So you're, God loves to have a relationship with us. And, uh, you know, again, I was listening to Mike Bickle. And he said, he was talking about personal prayer time and how he conducts his prayer time. So I took notes. And in fact, they were so basic and so simple, but I wrote them down in the front of my Bible. And he was talking about when you go alone to be with the Lord. Amen. Yeah. You know, I think last time I came here was 2011. And I did a very quick run through becoming a house of prayer and dwelling in the secret place. And what that means. The Bible says that if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, yeah. you will experience a supernatural lifestyle. Yeah. You, if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, you're the sort of person, a thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand will fall, but it won't come near you. Yes. He'll give his angels charge over you. Whatever you call, he'll answer you. He'll be with you in trouble. He'll deliver you and honor you. With long life, he'll satisfy you. That does not apply to every Christian. It applies to the person who dwells in the secret place. And Jesus talks about the secret place. So this is where prayer begins, in our personal prayer time. He said, Jesus said, when you pray, Matthew 6, go into your room and shut the door. Now, that is not a parable. It's a teaching. So it's a literal door. So in, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told them a parable that men should always pray and not give up. So the parable was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the purpose of the parable was to teach them that they should be persistent in prayer. There's a, vid a widow and so on. And he will vindicate those who cry out to him day and night. Persistence in prayer. So that's a parable. But when, when you get to Matthew 6, it's not a parable. It's a literal teaching. And Jesus said, when you pray, just say, you is me. me. <laughs> when you pray... You go into your room. Yes? Yeah. Not a parable. And you shut the door. Yeah. And then he says, your father, in the original language, it calls that the secret place. And that's the proper rendering of the Greek. Uh, other versions change that term secret place. I like the term secret place. Your father who is in the secret place will reward you openly. So once you've gone into that room and you've scheduled that secluded place where you are alone with God, your life changes dramatically. My life changed in 1974 when I received Christ. Shortly after that, God spoke to me <clears throat> about, he didn't speak to me in words. He sometimes speaks just with a download. You just know what he's saying, even though he hasn't used words. And that often is how God speaks. You just yeah. know the sentiment of what God is actually saying to you. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, he spoke to me uh, to spend an hour a day with him. I, I wasn't a pastor. 
I wasn't a pizza. I wasn't a pasta, I mean. <laughs> I, I didn't even know what a pasta was. If you told me it was an Italian dish, I'd have believed you. Because I was a Roman Catholic, a Roman Catholic. <laughs> and uh, I just didn't know what a pasta I knew what a nun was, I knew what a priest was, I knew what a cardinal was, and I knew what a pope was, but I did not know what a pastor was. And I was not a pastor, I had not been to Bible school, I didn't know my Bible, and God was telling me to spend an hour a day with him. Yeah. So I started spending an hour a day with him, and my life changed. You know, I often say to people, you see these posters, especially in London, you know, big leaflets. And it says, I jokingly say, you know, they say, come in here, Pastor Hongo Bongo from the Congo. <laughs> and it says he's a prophet and he's a mighty man of God. No offense if you're from the Congo. But uh, <laughs> it, just, it just rhymes, you know, we could make up a rhyme with Hull. But... Uh, Hunger bonger from the Congo, and he's there, and you come to the meeting, and you'll never be the same again. That's what it says. Come in here, prophet Hunger bonger from the Congo, and you will never be the same again. So, you go to the meeting, you hear prophet Hunger bonger, and you're the same again. You don't change. You enjoy the meeting, and sometimes people's lives are changed in meetings. Our foster daughter who was up and down many years. We had uh, Pastor Dean Mohan, who pastors a church of 55,000. I saw him lay hands on her, and she changed. Amen. She's now married to an evangelist and traveling and preaching. Amen. So people do change in meetings, amen? Yeah. I think you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying, people say, you come to this meeting, and you'll never be the same again. I've been to lots of meetings, and I'm the same afterwards. But... If you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, you will never be the same again. Because it's a daily encounter with Him. And Mike Bickle, you know, he made such three very simple things. He said, when you pray, have a prayer list. It's not all you do, you know, there's many different ingredients to holistic prayer when you're alone with the Lord. But he said, always have a prayer list. And write down the things that are important to you. You know, there could be 10 things. And he sometimes has more than one prayer list and pray over them every day. I've seen that. I've seen how when you pray over something day after day after day, sometimes you're praying for it, you don't feel anything, you don't feel any goosebumps, you don't feel anything. But you pray after day after day after day and you see God moving in it. Yeah. Have a prayer list. Secondly, he said, schedule prayer. Prayer, you know, I don't know if you schedule cooking or if you schedule cleaning the house or if you schedule coming to church, hopefully you do, uh, or if you schedule some, you know, you schedule things that are important. Like uh, the pastor got a call from um, another pastor, a friend of his who was coming through an American city, and he said, you know, I'm just coming through the city for a day, could we meet up for lunch? And he checked his diary and he said, sorry, you know, I can't come for lunch on that day, I have, I have an appointment. He said, well, I'll tell you what, let's meet for breakfast at six o'clock. And he said, I'm so sorry, I can't have an appointment. Because in his diary was written, secret place. So he was not going to have bacon and eggs and beans and sausages and scrambled egg and tomatoes. And... It doesn't do the same for you. It'll fill your tummy. But it is not the same as being alone with him. Amen. You know, like, like I said, there's a book uh, that says, you know, when you are alone with him, on a regular basis, you get a suntan. Remember that? Yeah. You spend time with him day after day, you get a suntan. S-O-N. T-A-N. So when we talk about spiritual warfare, faith, prayer, the most important aspect of prayer for your life is your personal time with him. And when you, you schedule that and you don't let anything take it away, Satan will fight you tooth and nail. I used to spend an hour a day when I first got married, when God spoke to me. But I did not know why prayer was important. I did not know what it accomplished. I, don't know, I didn't know what happened when you do pray. And I didn't know what didn't happen when you don't pray. So because I didn't understand the dynamics of it and the purpose of it and the benefits of it, my prayer life would keep fizzling out. Has yours ever fizzled out? Lots of Christians, their prayer life's up and down, up and down. Like the lady who came to me once and she's, she was crying. She was, a, you know, very high up in the nursing world and had a good job. And said, Pastor Ian, I've heard you speak many times on prayer. And I've been motivated and I've started my prayer life, but it fizzles out. 
and I really felt for her. She was crying. She said, I just can't spend that quality time alone with him every day. It fizzles out after a while. And I know a lot of people experience that. And uh, I said to her, I, it must have been by revelation, I said, how do you get to work? She said, I drive. I said, how long does it take you? She said, half an hour each way. I said, well, shut the door and you've got half an hour each way. That's an hour with God. You've got the Bible on CD, you know. You've got everything there. Just get alone with him and spend that quality time with him. Amen. I tell other people, you can't get an hour, break it into 15-minute sections and spend an hour with him. Sometimes when our kids were small and our house were busy and young children running all around, I would catch 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in my lunch hour, 15 minutes when I came home and 15 minutes before I went to bed. It makes such a difference to your life when you are spending time. It does not clash with grace. It's not works. Because... If you went to the doctor and he said to you, look, your health is in danger. You need to have three good meals a day. You wouldn't say, well, don't get legalistic with me. <laughs> three meals a day, that's a bit legalistic. No. Uh, <laughs> and like I said before, God loves you. You know, when we have new students in the Bible school, we say to them, how many of you believe that God loves you more when you pray? And usually about 50% of them put their hands up and say, that's not true. God doesn't love you anymore whether you pray or not. God loves you even if you don't eat. Yeah. And God loves you even if you don't sleep. But if you don't eat for long enough, you're dead. But God will still love you. <laughs> because the food you eat nourishes you. It has a purpose. So it's not the issue. Uh, when you spend time with God, you're the one that benefits. There's certain things that percolate and filter and that are downloaded into your life. And if you go into your day without that, you're in a, living in a minus zone. So it's not a, a matter of God loving you more. It's not like I just believe in grace and God loves me whether I read my Bible or whether I pray. He loves me anyway, so it doesn't matter what I do. Uh, if you think like that, the devil will give you a good hammering because you'll have a very weak spiritual immune system. And when you've got a weak spiritual immune system, you catch anything that's going. Yes? So we were talking about Abraham, weren't we? about half an hour ago. <laughs> Let's get back to Abraham. Uh, but when we talk about prayer, faith, and spiritual warfare, your personal prayer life is key. So make a decision today. We're going to pray for the prayer, spirit of prayer to be released. Amen? Amen. We want to pray together. We want to be involved in church prayer. We want to be involved in family prayer. But your personal prayer time is key. When my daughter was 12 years old, I taught her to pray one hour a day because she was having problems in school. I think I actually shared this last time I came here. My daughter was having problems in school. The first day she went to high school, she bumped into a group of girls and they started bullying her. She was about 11, 11 or 12 years old. And they kept, uh, you know, bumping into her. She'd be going down the corridor and they'd bump into her, they'd trip her up. She'd be in the queue and they'd kick her. She didn't know who kicked her. She'd come home crying and say, Dad, Mom, I don't want to go to that school. I don't like it there. Those girls are bullying me. And, you know, you need to pray for your kids when they go from junior school to high school because yeah. they go from being the biggest and the strongest to the smallest and the weakest. Yeah. It's a big transition for them. Uh, and uh, she was in school. It was traumatic for us because she was coming home crying. And uh, <clears throat> we prayed for her. And we got some people in the church to pray for her. We went to the school. We spoke to the headmaster. We spoke to one of the parents of the, one of the girls. But nothing seemed to change. This just seemed to be targeting her every day. And I remember one night, you know, because when my kids were small, I'd, I put my hands on them every night that I was at home and blessed them. Pray for them every single night. And uh, I remember praying one night and I felt the Lord say, leave her there. Leave her in that school. So I called Angela up after several weeks and I said, Angie, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Amen. So 12 years old, I taught her how to pray one hour a day. I made it very simple for her. She was 12. She'd received tongues when she was seven. I said, pray in tongues for 20 minutes. Pray in English for 20 minutes. And I gave her the Lord's Prayer format. And then read your Bible for 20 minutes. 
and then go into school. And I heard her alarm going off in the morning. She got up. She was spending an hour with the Lord. She went to school, came back. Once I heard her go in, slam her door, and spend the second hour with God, 12 years old. Within one week, those girls completely stopped bullying her. They, they not only stopped bullying her, they became her friends. And nobody messed with her because like, she had mafia protection. <laughs> Those girls were big, ugly, muscular girls. I'm, exagger <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But they actually became her friends. And they remained her friends for the whole of her schooling. Because of her prayer life. That, came, that was the fruit of her own prayer life. And she learned a lesson that week that would last her for the rest of her life. She's still serving the Lord today. Amen. So look at verse uh, 17 of Romans 4. As it is written, I made your father many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as, as, do they, as though they did. Who, contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. What's the opposite of not being weak in faith? being strong in faith, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. His body was screaming at him yeah. and saying, you're too old, your wife's too old, you can't have a baby. I know God said it, but you can't have it. Yeah. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. When he looked at the circumstances that were so contradicting the promise, it says he didn't consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. As you know the story, Sarah was not only old and beyond childbearing age for that you know, uh, region of time, but she was also barren. She had never had a child in the first place. So there was double trouble there. And he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. What's the opposite of being strengthened in faith? Is that your faith grows weaker. It says the Israelites would not go into the promised land because of unbelief. It was a total lack of faith because going into the promised land and fighting for the land involved trusting God. Your life's on the line, but you were going to get all those things he promised you and they forfeited those things because they were not living by faith. And it says, he did not waver at the promise of God through faith, through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And this is the verse that God spoke to me in the middle of the night. And being fully convinced. Yeah. Everybody say fully convinced. Fully. Being fully convinced that, that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And I, when I, the Lord said to me, Abraham, and he said, Romans 4, I knew I was headed for verse 21. I knew what it said. That I was to be fully convinced, yes, it had been more than 25 years, but the promise God gave me those many years ago, uh, he wanted me to be fully convinced because most people, as the years go by, when they receive the promise, their faith gets weaker yeah. and weaker. So maybe God didn't speak to me. Maybe I misheard it. Maybe it's not going to happen. But Abraham, you know, this is the way I describe faith. If you were to draw a line from there, that wall to this wall. Having faith is like being pregnant. It's exactly like being pregnant. Because there's conception when you start believing what has been promised, whether it's come to you by the Holy Spirit or from the Word. You start believing it, and something starts to form as a result. And then there comes a point in this process where you continue in faith, being fully convinced that that which he has promised, he was also able to perform. I said to the Lord, oh, you're a performer. You're going to perform this. Okay, you perform it, I'll believe it. Yeah, right. That's the partnership. Even in moving mountains, you don't move mountains, you speak to them. It shall be done for you. Yeah. He does it. Yeah. So in that process, you could say Abraham was pregnant for 25 years. He was pregnant with the promise. Sarah was pregnant for nine months, we know, and then had Isaac the child of promise. But Abraham, from the time the promise was given to him, he went through a process, you know, he went through his ups and downs, his, uh, he must have fought with unbelief and faith and won victory over it. And he came to a point where he was fully convinced that that which God had promised he was going to perform. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 
I was teaching in faith, and you know, I don't get a lot of this. Uh, I was teaching in faith in Abergavenny, and a very red-faced man came up to me afterwards, and he said, I don't like what you said. He said, I had faith for my wife that she would be healed of cancer, and she died. He said, I don't like what you said. And then he just walked off in a half. And I don't get a lot of that, and so I'm not expecting it here, yeah? So, <laughs> but, you know, I prayed for him, and I spoke to the leader, and I sat down with him afterwards and explained how things worked. When I'm talking about having faith, I'm talking about you having faith for something God's promised you. I'm not talking about you having faith for someone else. Because when you have faith for someone else, the equation changes. You cannot have faith for someone else unless they're fully in agreement with you for what you're believing about. Yeah. And that's uh, a part of the dynamic of faith. So when you teach on faith, you need more time to cover all the different issues. So um, Abraham was fully convinced that that which he had promised, he was able to perform. And he did, 25 years later, the promise was fulfilled. So you say, well, what about some people say to me, well, I had faith and nothing happened. I've heard people say that, oh, I don't know about that, you know, I had faith but nothing really happened. Uh, when you're having faith, it's like being pregnant. You know that there's two things that can stop the child from being born. From the time it's conceived to the time it's delivered, there are two things. One is an abortion. Yeah. Faith can be aborted. Because a person was believing with all their heart and they said the pressure got too much for them, the warfare got too much, circumstances got too much and they stopped believing. And so it doesn't get completed. The other thing that happens is, sadly, and when it happens to anyone, it's, it's very traumatic, is a miscarriage. Sometimes faith can miscarry. But I say to you in the name of Jesus, when you are believing God for something he's promised you, you cannot not get it if you continue in faith. Now, uh, I'll touch on a couple of scriptures which some people have misquoted. But let's just look at Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. This well-known story just illustrates partly what I'm saying. And normally when we teach on faith, we teach it 8, 10, 12 hours. So, you know, and uh, I'm already presuming you know a lot about the subject. In Romans, uh, sorry, Matthew 14 verse 22. Look at this. A well-known story, but it illustrates how a person can start off in faith and not finish in faith. In um, Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, You know the story, don't you? Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, and he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately the Lord stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Never mind, old chap, I'll help you. <laughs> he says, Oh, you of little faith. Yeah. Yeah. He said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You think that Jesus would be more compassionate. I mean, the guy's in the middle of the sea. You know, the wind is blowing. The waves are all over the place. But Peter, when he sees Jesus walking on the water, uh, he says, if it's you, Lord, bid me come. And I love what Reinhard Bonnke said. He said, one word, come, C-O-M-E. And uh, he walked on the word of God. He put one foot on the C, one foot on the O, one foot on the M, and one foot on the E. And he walked on the word of God. The word was come. And he was walking on the water, and he walked all the way to Jesus. And then, oh, he was almost there. Then you know how he looked around, and he saw the circumstances were not in his favor. 
And immediately he began to doubt. How do you know he began to doubt? Because Jesus said so. And so when he began to doubt, his faith in what Jesus had spoken to him come was keeping him walking on the water. But the moment he began to doubt, he began to sink. And of course, Jesus rescued him, caught his hand, brought him back. But Jesus told him off and he taught him a lesson in faith that he remembered for the rest of his life. He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And they got into the boat and the boat ceased. An illustration of how you can start off in faith, but then lose it and things go in the opposite way. Yes? So you know, we need to develop our personal prayer lives. And it's also the first place where we experience spiritual warfare. And we should become skilled at stopping the devil from messing with our lives. Amen. Every day when I pray, I don't wait for things to go wrong. I, I pray in my prayer time and I cover all the things in the day that are important to me. My wife, my children, my grandchildren, the church, the elders. I pray over and I pray, you know, for God's supernatural protection. Uh, and uh, how many of you believe that if you ask for God's supernatural protection at the beginning of the day, that he'll give it to you? Yeah? yeah? And so, you know, we know that, uh, you know, some bad things happen to good people. Uh, and, but I cannot base my expectancy on what's happened to someone else. You know, this was a great man of God and he experienced that. And so you can't say that. I can say it because at the beginning of each day, I look to God and I trust him for that day. And we can all do that. Amen. So over our personal lives, you know, remember he comes to kill, he comes to steal, and he comes to destroy. So when you are in that place of prayer and you've got into your room and you shut the door, you have a holistic prayer life. And the holistic prayer life is listed in, uh, in Matthew 6. Mm-hmm. Has someone got an NIV? Yep. If you've got an NIV, just in verse 6 it says, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Remember, it's not a parable. It's a teaching. And i just read the first part of Matthew 6, verse 9. Please. Yeah. Matthew 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Yeah, that's it. Can we just repeat that? This then is how you should pray. Where? In your room. Behind the door. It's the same story. He hasn't changed what he's talking about. So he said, when you go into your room and shut the door, this then is how you should pray in that room when the door shut. And then we get this prayer that we pray, but it's also a format for prayer. And we remember the teachings of Larry Lee and all that hundreds of years ago. <laughs> and uh, apparently he's back with Mike Bickle now. And so we, we want to see him restored. Amen. But in, the, in there, very quickly, in passing, because I, I, I did touch on this last time as well. When we get into that room and shut the door, uh, the Lord's Prayer format is what I taught Angie to do, to, uh, 20 minutes in English, 20 minutes according to the Lord's Prayer format, and 20 minutes in, in uh, sorry, in, in uh, English, in the Lord's Prayer format, 20 minutes reading the Bible and 20 minutes in tongues. The Lord's Prayer format is very simple. When you read the Lord's Prayer, you have six clear sections. The first one is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, which is worship. Yeah. Worship is a vital Vitally important part of our prayer time. In fact, so important that Jesus taught us prayer, you could say, in a worship sandwich. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you end off with thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Praising him, worshiping him, and thanking him. Amen. So when you go into your room and you shut the door and you have that prayer list uh, and you schedule a time for prayer... And when you go before the Lord, Mike Bickle says, always go with the expectancy that he's longing and waiting for you. Yeah. He loves to hear from you. He, he's, he's like been waiting for this and his disposition towards you is he, he loves you. He wants to bless you. Let me tell you something about the love of God. It was a little revelation to me just recently. You know, within the Trinity, they passionately love each other. Yeah. The Father loves the Son. And the Son loves the Holy Spirit, and they all love each other. It's passionate, deep love at the deepest level, way beyond our imagination. They passionately love each other. And the Bible says how much the Father loves the Son. 
if you can imagine how much the Father loves the Son. Do you know that the Father loves us, the Bible says, as much as he loves the Son? Sometimes we're tempted to think, you know, God loves the Son 100%, but he loves us 50%. No. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. He loves you. He doesn't love you. If he loves you, he doesn't love you 50%. He loves you 100%. That means he, he loves you at the deepest level. And when you go before God in prayer, you must go before him with that expectancy, knowing that that is his disposition towards you. It helps you to get a better relationship with him. Amen? So when you are alone with the Lord, you schedule a time, you have a prayer list as part, uh, and you have a, a disposition towards him, uh, sensing and knowing his amazing disposition towards you. He's longing for that time, and he's enjoying that time, and he's expecting to interact with you. But when we uh, go into prayer, there's six, uh, which are sort of um, sections which we go through very quickly. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's very interesting that when we pray, you know, I've said this before, and we left some tapes behind, so you may have heard this before. Uh, a great man of God, he said this. He said, before we say, my, 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 we say, die, die, die. Have you heard that? It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Before you say, give me this day my daily bread. So our first focus in prayer is to take our eyes off ourselves, to take our eyes off our circumstances, take our eyes off the devil, take our eyes off our problems, take our eyes off the mother-in-law, take our eyes off a uh, father-in-law or whatever. Uh, you, you get your eyes off of your circumstances and you get your eyes onto God. That's the first focus. You're not binding the devil. You're not... Uh, you know, get engaging, you, you, you actually say this. You say, our Father who art in heaven. You get your eyes off the earth onto heaven. You know, it's amazing when people pray how stuff leaves heaven and comes down. It says that in the upper room, 120 people were praying. And as they were praying for 10 days, they suddenly they heard a sound from heaven. I just love that. I mean, they're sitting here on the earth, and they suddenly hear a sound, but that sound came from actual heaven, yeah. which is in another dimension. It left heaven. It came down. It was visible in, in, in tongues of fire that rested on each one of them. There's 120 at least tongues on each one of them. And they were anointed and motivated and, and thrust into the world to be evangelistic, and that was the beginning of the change of this world. Yeah. came out of a prayer meeting. Something left heaven. So when you go into that room and you're alone with God, you take your eyes off yourself, your circumstances, Satan, all your problems, and you worship. This is a worshiping church, isn't it? Yeah. And you say, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And after you've worshipped, the next section is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Yeah. So we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Yeah, someone put it this way, you know, we pray for what he wants before what we want. Yeah. Yeah. And God wants certain things. He has ordained in his sovereignty that he will release his will on the earth through the prayers of his people. And prayer creates a runway for the Holy Spirit to come on. So you're praying for his kingdom to come, his will to be done over your life, over your spouse, over your children, over your grandchildren, over your finances, over your health, over your workplace, or over your everything that's important to you. Saying, let your kingdom come. I want your rule, Lord. I want you to rule over me today. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow will come later. Amen. And uh, we pray for that. I taught Angie to do that when she was 12 years old. And then you ask him for what you want. Didn't Jesus say, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. And you say, give me this day my daily bread. And you ask the Lord for the things you need. Yeah. Amen? Amen? What do you need? Bigger house, bigger car, bigger wife. <laughs> uh, I know, bigger wife. <laughs> bigger husband. <laughs> you know, some people, that, their whole prayer life is consumed with getting, uh, you know, something material. You know, we worship him. We love him. We're in relationship with him. We're praying for what he wants. And after we've, uh, you know, as it were, covered the important things, then we ask him for what we want. And thank God he's willing to answer our prayers. Amen? Yeah. And so we put our petitions before him in simple faith, 
believing uh, according to the promises of God that he will answer. And you know, when Jesus said, go into your room and shut the door, this then is how you should pray, you're meant to do that every day. How do you know that? Because in the midst of the teaching, he teaches us, give us this day our daily bread. There's things that God wants to filter into your life every day. Just like sleep replenishes you every day for the next day. Just like food gives you energy and strength. So your prayer time uh, releases things in your life that help you to live at a good level spiritually with your God. Amen. Does that make sense? Give us this day our daily bread. And then heart examination. So important to examine our hearts every day before God. Some people pray a lot. But they don't examine their hearts daily. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's almost like at the end of the whole thing, Jesus says, there's one thing I want to highlight. And he said, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you've got anything against anyone. And so we receive forgiveness from him and release forgiveness to others. Amen. How many of you have seen the movie Unbroken? Oh boy, hasn't it got to hell yet? Uh, It'll get here eventually. You must see the movie Unbroken. It's made by Brad Pitt's wife. What's her name? Angela Jolie. It's a true story about a man, and he's actually a Christian. You must see it. If you don't like it, send me an email, I'll give you your money back. Oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) I'm only joking. (laughs) It's a great movie, and it's a true story, but it's a, uh, she heard about this man, Italian-American, and she said, isn't anyone going to make a movie about him? And she's made a movie about him, and it's really worth seeing. I think you could almost show it in church. I'm not sure. There's one or two scenes. But it's a, a, a movie worth watching, and it's an incredible story of forgiveness as well. Whenever we stand praying, whenever we stand praying, that's every time you pray. Right. We forgive if you've got anything against anyone. A vital ingredient for answered prayer. Yeah. You heard about that man, didn't you, who, who died, and the Nigerian man, did you hear about him? The Lazarus something? You heard it? He died, and... Uh, Uh, He was killed in a car crash. And uh, when he was dying, he saw two angels in front of him. And they said, come with us. And they took him down to hell. And he saw people in hell. And uh, the angel said to him, you should really be in this place. Have you seen seen this guy? It's a true story. True story. Um, He was actually raised from the dead at a Reinhard Bonnke meeting after being dead for three days. And the angels took him there. He said, you should really be here. He said, but I can't, I'm a pastor. He said, I'm a pastor. And he said, uh, you know, I preach to people. He said, yeah, but three days ago, or whenever it was, you had an argument with your wife. And she slapped you, Nigerian style. (laughs) Nigerian slaps, they're harder. Than English slaps. <laughs> My oldest daughter is married to a Nigerian, so I know a little bit about Nigeria. She slapped him, and he was angry, and he wouldn't speak to her. So at night, he slept in the other bedroom. He locked the door. She came to the door to ask for his forgiveness. He wouldn't forgive her. For three days, he held out. She approached him several times. He said, he wouldn't speak to her. And he got in his car, died. And the angel said, because you died in unforgiveness, you should be here. Well, I don't want to rearrange your th- theology. I'm just telling you the story, okay? You come to your own conclusions. You come to your own conclusions. And, uh, you know, what does it mean that Jesus said, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you've got anything against anyone. If you don't forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. What does that mean? If he doesn't forgive you, where does that leave you? It's worth thinking about. I was talking through with Colin. It made me think. But the angels told him this. And they said, but God is giving you another chance. And then they took him up to heaven. And they showed him heaven. They showed him his mansion, etc., etc. And um, three days, 
His wife received a promise and she would not let go. He was, in, he was certified dead, he was in the morgue. His body was lifeless, but she somehow uh, got permission and took his body away from there, took him to a Reinhard Bonnke meeting. And he was downstairs and, you know, to cut a long story short, he came up and he was back to life and he said he'd been to heaven and hell. So it's worth thinking about. If there was any chance that through my unforgiveness I could miss out, I, I don't want to take any chances. How about you? So there's a forgiveness aspect of prayer which we should engage in every day. We receive forgiveness from him and re release forgiveness to others. Amen? Amen? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is spiritual warfare. And we're actually told by the Lord daily to pray for deliverance from evil. Lead us not into temptation. In other words, may I not be ensnared or fall into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, which is worship, praise, and thanksgiving. And these are vital ingredients of a holistic prayer life. And so I always make sure I cover those posts in my prayer times. If I'm praying in tongues, reading my Bible, praying in English, going through my prayer list, which is just, which I've started doing, which I've learned from Mike Bickle. He said, if you have a prayer list, you'll always be able to pray longer. Because when you go through your list, sometimes you don't go through each one. You stay longer on some of them because they're so important to you. And he has a prayer list for his family and a prayer list for his church and prayer list. And now he's got about three prayer lists. So it's something you can do. But let, let your prayer times be creative. Amen. I was over in uh, Ghana once. I think it was 1989. I was preaching in Ghana. And I was teaching people how to spend an hour a day with God. And this university student came up to me and said, Thank you, Pastor Ian, for teaching us how to pray one hour a day. She said, um, I tried it. And she said, I tried to pray one hour a day and I went over. I prayed one and a half hours and said, I feel so different. Amen. You know, uh, I was walking down the corridors of my house in the 80s with my hands lifted up, praising the Lord. Because in the front room was my little daughter, Sarah. She was six years old. And I could hear her with a cute little voice reading the Bible and praying in tongues. And she was spending her five minutes as a six-year-old with the Lord. When you have family prayer time, you know, keep it simple. Don't read Psalm 119. <laughs> you, may, you, may, you may put your kids off for life. So for her, it was five minutes, not one hour. She's far too young. In the other room was my Angie, who's now 38, and she was spending time reading her Bible and praying. In the other room was Denise, my wife. She was reading her Bible and praying. And in this room, Johnny went up to the age of 12, 14. He used to pray 45 minutes a day. No wonder he came back to God. Yeah. They come back when they got something to come back to. But if you didn't put it in the first place, they got nothing to come back to. And he was spending time. And my hands were lifted up, thanking the Lord for what he had done in my home, that my home had become a house of prayer. And the reason why I was so grateful was because a couple of years earlier, all the things were all over the place. Our marriage was in problems. We nearly broke up. We had problems with the children, financial problems, car problems, every kind of problem. I remember driving down the street with my car, and I didn't have the money to fix the brakes. So when I put my leg on the brakes, it stopped eventually. <laughs> and it was a very, you know, careless thing to do. But I, I was so under pressure that I was driving this car, and I would use my handbrake and you know, and, and tried to gauge it, and uh, I didn't have an accident. But one day, I was going down a road, and as I went down this road, uh, there were cars both sides. There was only room for one and a half cars, and I went in, and then a car came the other side. And I thought, oh my goodness. So as he came closer to me, I could see the horror on his face. Uh, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I shouted, Jesus! <laughs> and suddenly, I was the other side. And I looked in the mirror, I saw his lips moving. He was not speaking in tongues. <laughs> I don't know what he was <laughs> I don't know what he was saying, but it wasn't tongues. But you know, that was the grace of God. I have gone down that road so many times and looked at the road and cars there's no room for two cars. You must have done a miracle that day. I did get my brakes fixed in the end. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, but we'd been through such 
tense and terrible uh, times that that was the reason why I was so grateful to God yeah. on that day. And you know, it, it wasn't always that good in the years ahead. Sometimes it was up, sometimes it was down. We fought battles with Johnny. Visiting him in prison was traumatic. Uh, you know, it was all kinds of things we faced. But when you've got a strong prayer life and you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, I'm telling you, you have special privileges. Yeah. Read Psalm 91. You have special privileges. Whenever he calls, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Who's he talking about? The person who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Not just any Christian who gets up in the morning and had bacon, eggs, sausage, beans, and <laughs> no prayer life, doesn't read their Bible, and then they cry out in a crisis. They don't get the same attention. God doesn't have any favorites, but he knows the people who are serious about him. And he responds to them immediately. The Psalm 91 person, whenever he calls... I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. He shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. What's a lion and the cobra? That's spiritual warfare. Yeah. Amen. The devil goes around like a roaring lion. Yeah. So, you know, spiritual warfare is real. But one day I had this dream. And God often speaks to me in a dream, even though I'm a young man. You know, young, uh, <laughs> young men shall see visions. The old men shall dream dreams. I've been dreaming for a long time. And uh, I was in this room. It was like, this big, you know, is literally about that big. And I was standing in this room and in the dream, this huge serpent was coming towards me. It literally looked like a crossbreed between a cobra and an anaconda. And uh, it was coming towards me and it was like waving like this and it was coming towards me and I, I was backing off in fear. Uh, and it seemed to get bigger as it came towards me. And then suddenly my back was up against the wall and I just didn't know what to do. But in the dream, without thinking, I lunged at the serpent, caught it round the neck, pushed it down, and a knife came in my hand. I don't know where it came from. And I chopped his head off. Amen. It felt so good. <laughs> it felt so good. I woke up happy. <laughs> it looked like he was going to swallow me, you know. And the Lord taught me through that dream, the devil is an intimidator. He's an intimidator. We have authority over him. Don't let him mess up your home. Don't let him mess up your kids. You know, go before the Lord in prayer and cover your personal prayer life, your personal family. Cover them with prayer every day. You know, it's, if you have children, uh, you're married, you have grandchildren, pray for them every single day. Never let a day go by when you're not covered them in prayer. Amen. And you'll see the difference it makes. It makes such a big difference. And uh, so I'm, I'm committed to doing that. I've taught my children how to do that. And I hope that that is their daily practice, you know. I mean, look at Mark 9. Again, a well-known scripture. Let's just look at it again. You know the story how the disciples have come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. There's Peter, James, and John. They've come down and the disciples there were not able to cast the demon out, you know. And uh, so here they come from the glory of being on top of the mountain and uh, <laughs> come straight into a situation where the lack of anointing on those disciples' lives prevented them from helping a person in need. And uh, they had cast out demons before. That's why they were mystified as to why this demon wouldn't move. And, um, you know, it says there, um, verse 17, and one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Whenever it ceases him, it throws him down. You know, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples. They could not cast it out. To cast it out, and they could not. Then, verse 19 again, you know, Jesus said, well, never mind, old chap. I'll take care of it. You just relax. I'm down here. I've just been up the mountain. And, you know, don't worry. You know, I'm here to help you. Oh, faithless generation, he says. Do you know the real Jesus? You know, is he, is he a figment of your imagination? You know, oh, faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? And how long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him to him. When he saw immediately the spirit convulsed him, he fell on the ground, wallowed, foaming at the mouth. 
He asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood, often he's thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, what's believing called? It's called faith, isn't it? If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father uh, of the child cried out. Remember, this guy's not a Christian. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit inside of him. And he says, uh, you know, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And guess what Jesus did? Helped his unbelief. Because yes. that's what he asked for. And Jesus saw that the people came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, came out of him, and he became as one dead. So many said, he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, uh, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So you put out, you take the two scriptures, if you can believe all things are possible, faithless generation, and fasting and prayer. When we fast and pray, our faith levels go up. Just like when you sleep, your energy levels go up. When you exercise, uh, you have more energy. Uh, when you fast and pray, your faith levels begin yeah. to rise. And you can believe God for great things. That's why it's so important now that you capture this moment while you're in this time of fasting and prayer. Because corporate prayer uh, fasting is very powerful. Yes. So if you all engage in it, it could release something over your church that will last you for years. Yes. Amen. Because we gain ground in the spirit. And so, you know, when you're talking about prayer, when you're talking about faith, when you're talking about spiritual warfare, your personal life and your home is very, very important. And cover that. And don't allow the devil to ravage your home. Amen? Amen. You know, recently we have uh, family fast days. My wife initiates that. And uh, we sometimes fast together. And it's great. Because we've never done it before. Like Denise and I fasted together. But to see the whole family fasting, myself, Denise, Angela, John, Sarah, Emmanuel, you know, Nathan, Ethan, even the young youngsters want to fast. They, they don't want to be left out. Everybody's fasting. Can I fast? Can I fast? You know? And they're prepared to give up a meal, the kids, uh, in order, you know, to see things happen. Amen? Yeah. Our families, our homes, our churches, our localities, our towns, our nation. You know, spiritual warfare is key. And um, we always approach things in faith. And we have faith when we pray. You know, I believe that when you're in faith for something, you're always looking at the horizon of your life and you're always expecting something to come towards you. And so if you're not believing God for something right now, I often ask people, what are you believing God for right now? What is it you're having faith for? What is it you're expecting? What is it, you know, I ask people all the time, what has God promised you in the Bible? They say, never leave you or forsake you. I say, yeah, okay. I'm with you always. Yeah, 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 I know that. They say, give you these general things. I'm with you always. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, and all these general. I'm not asking about general promises that God has given to every Christian. I'm saying, what has God promised you? And you get alone with him and he'll start promising you things. He start filtering. You become fully convinced that what he's promised you will come to pass. There's a lady in our church. She's quite big. In fact, she's very big. She's one of the biggest ladies I've ever seen. <laughs> oh no, don't send the tape to Wembley, I'll get into trouble. <laughs> She's very, very big. And uh, she went on a 21-day fast years ago. And uh, she was praying for her, for her husband. She's not the most eligible lady I've ever seen. But she was praying for her husband. And she was so determined to get her husband that she was going to fast 21 days. And the Lord spoke to her and said, I've already got a husband for you. Fast and pray over your ministry. So she fasted and prayed 21 days for her ministry. She has a powerful ministry. And... Uh, she married a guy. He's one of the skinniest guys I've ever seen. <laughs> 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 he, 
He's not very big. <laughs> it's like Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> no. But you know, it's amazing. It's amazing uh, for a person to have faith and believe God. Nothing is impossible. We've got girls in our church who are so pretty, but they're not married. This girl is not one of the most eligible girls you'd ever see, but she is married. And her husband's got a good job, and he's earning good money. Amen. Amen. All things are possible. Amen. Fasting and prayer. You know, it's good to fast chewing gum and chocolate and TV and multimedia. Good to fast all these things. I believe in it. But when Jesus fasted, he didn't fast iPads or chewing gum or chocolate. He fasted food. Yeah. And biblical fasting is going without food for spiritual purposes. All the other things you give up are good. And that any sacrifice you make unto the Lord is acceptable to Him. But biblical fasting has to do with going without food for the higher purposes of prayer. Amen. And when you do that corporately, it's very powerful. 